The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 154 for June 2nd, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. John, it's good to be back. How you doing? Back? Yeah, we were. Or off. We were off last Monday and then the rest of the week just wasn't going to work. My my hope, though, is that we don't have to take next Monday off because I'm at WWDC. And all of that depends on the uh, bandwidth available to us at the uh, lovely Hotel Milano. And when I say us, I mean do it me. Early, earlier than when the, the huddled masses converge on uh, hmm. San Francisco. Yeah, my problem is I don't check into the hotel. So, yeah, they, they, they did this great thing with WWDC this year, John. They uh, booked it before they went and looked to see all the hotel options. Yeah. Because they figured, you know, it's a relatively, for San Francisco, for San Francisco, it's a very, relatively small show. So they went ahead and booked uh, WWDC. They booked the Moscone uh, West without checking to see what was in North and South and what's in North and South, some massive uh, doctor diabetes convention that has every hotel room, hundreds of thousands of doctors come to this thing apparently. And it has every hotel room in the city totally booked up. So I literally could not get a room for Sunday night uh, if I wasn't willing to pay, say about 400 bucks. Hmm. So thankfully the, the folks at the Milano, uh, you know, we've worked with them in the past and I was able to talk to them about getting rooms from Monday through, uh, through Friday morning. Even, even that those first couple of days were tough. Uh, so I'm not going to be in San Francisco until Monday afternoon. I'm, I'm flying in uh, to the area Sunday night. I'm actually staying uh, down in San Jose with, uh, with Brian Chaffin and then driving in for the keynote Monday morning. So it's going to be a heck of a beginning to a trip for me, but, uh, yeah. So so we I don't have to say it's, it's, it's warm out there this time of year. You could have. No. <laughs> yeah, I just sleep on the street. There's all those guys that do that. Well, no, think of it as camping out real early for the show. <laughs> yeah. Others okay. Do it. I see them every year. With my suitcase and all my stuff and my, no, te- you bring my a little teddy house bear or something. I'll bring like a little, a little tent, a little cardboard house or something. Yeah, that's right. That sounds nice. We have all kinds of stuff to talk about. Uh, We're going to, we've got some uh, screen sharing stuff, uh, put perhaps some follow-ups on, on drive cleaning. If we can get there. Uh, I found a way to make IE work on the Mac that a listener told me about. We've got a bunch of new questions. In fact, we have one new question that may prompt the first on air fist fight between John and I. So, Oh yeah. (laughs) You ready for this? Uh, But first uh, let's talk about 1053 that just came out uh, this week. And it was, uh, it was a whopper and not a moment too soon. If you ask me, uh, I'm going to dive right in here. It, it fixed a lot of things. Obviously you can go and see the change log at, uh, you know, at, at Apple site. Um, but a couple of things that, that either may have missed your, uh, your notice or passed you by the first that, that obviously I was looking for was, did they fix the problems with firewire audio? Now there've been a couple of problems that, uh, that, that we've been having. And one specifically was anytime a fi- a two, a two by two. So two in two out firewire audio device was connected to any Mac I had. Uh, it would kernel panic either immediately or at some point thereafter, but, but it was almost a guarantee. So that was a real drag since we're using one of those in addition to the, the, the 12 channel Onyx Mackie board that, uh, 
that we use to, to manage the show for some of the output stuff. We use a, a little Behringer Firewire breakout box and it, it really sucked not to be able to have that plugged in all the time. So that, that was uh that was one thing and that has no question about it. They fixed that. So that chalk one up to them. Um, the, uh, th- then they did some time machine stuff. You want to talk a little bit about that, John? Yeah. And I actually noticed this. So, so they mentioned included it. The, the one thing that gets me is a lot of these descriptions of things are somewhat vague um, or, or soft. Yeah. yeah. Like here, includes fixes for time machine compatibility with time capsule. I mean, to me, once I filter out all the, yeah, it just, it doesn't say much, but they did have one thing, which uh, you may have noticed too, but resolve certain issues when backing up a portable Mac that is on battery power. In other words, it, it seems to be able to do it to a certain extent now. Because I've had my machine normally before, from what I recall, if it was on battery, it was not going to happen. That's right. Yeah. It just said, you know, next backup is when you're plugged in. Now, from what I've seen, it, it, I guess it gauges the battery power. And if it's a small enough update, it'll it'll, it'll make an attempt. Has, uh, that's been my experience. How about, how about you? Oh, yeah. well, you know, I have to be honest. I don't use my machine on battery power often oh, okay. enough to, to, to have noticed that. But that actually makes sense. That's a that's a really smart thing. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it fails. It'll come up and it'll say, you know, I, for whatever reason, network connectivity was broken. Um, you know, I think it does its best because my, my typical mode of use is to, when it's in a certain place to, to have it plugged in, maybe to charge overnight, but then, you know, I'll carry it around and have it on battery power. And sometimes right. I'll sleep it and I'll wake it up. And and I know it does its best to try to resume from that. Okay. It just seems to do a better job. And again, like I mentioned, it seems to want to do I guess I assume smaller backups if it thinks it can stay awake through the whole thing. So, uh, so that's better. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely improving. Oh, well, that's good. That's very good. Uh, okay. So uh, another small thing, and, and I know Jeff uh, Gamut ran a, an article about this at TMO In iCal. Now, if you use the weekly view, you can, it, it used to be that if you scrolled in weekly view, you would scroll by week. And that's still the default behavior, but you can go into general preferences there and change it to scroll by day. So you can move around day by day forward or backwards, kind of using the week view as a window, if you will, that just moves around. Uh, Personally, I I will probably always use it uh, to scroll by week, but I know Lisa, my wife, was ecstatic that it could scroll by day. That's something that she missed from her Palm desktop uh, using days, and, and she was happy to see it come back, so... That's uh, and and along those lines, if you have an iPhone now, you can sync Google contacts uh, with your address book. And there's a there's a checkbox now in uh, in the address book preferences if you Ooh, go to the general nice. section. So but nice, but, yeah. the chi- but the checkbox not there if you don't have an I- iPhone. So, you know. OK, um, now one little one here. I, I think somebody at Apple heard us or heard my rant. You may have rem- recall that, you know. Several episodes ago, I was ranting about uh, progress bar behavior. How could I, I forget? I could swear I saw it go backwards. And, and that's just, that can't, progress bars don't go backwards. That's right. just not how they work. Uh, so one of the things they included in here is improves the accuracy of the software update progress bar indicator. Thank you. That's a good thing. And I'm sure a lot of people who just like to have a nice, consistent, pleasant experience won't be shocked anymore that the progress bar does bizarre things okay i'm sorry i'm rambling but I do no no, no. All right that's a good thing that, that, <laughs> that's a good fix that's what we um, love that's right and and any others i think there was one more you well there, there was one more thing but apple didn't include this in the uh in the oh. change log and i'm not sure why uh, <laughs> if you're using 
uh, Photoshop or InDesign, CS2 or CS3, uh, and you save files, you'll actually uh, you get the bonus of having some of those files get corrupted uh, when you uh, when you're running either of those pieces of software on 10.5.3. So that that's kind of a bonus, I think. Don't don't you, John? Ser- yeah. Seriously, folks, beware. This is a known issue. We ran an article on it at TMO, I think, last week. The workaround is to choose save as as opposed to save. Of course, the obvious workaround would be to roll back to 10.5.2, which there is no rollback installer. So you have to do a clean install of 10.5 and then upgrade it only to 10.5.2. But, uh, but save as in Photoshop and InDesign will circumvent whatever the issue is that causes this corruption. Obviously, Adobe and Apple are aware of this. Um, as at, at this moment, I'm not aware of a, of a permanent fix, but you have to assume one is coming. Yep, and hey, this is why Time Machine is great. So it's something you can go back to a uh, mm. uncorrupted version, one mm. would assume. Unless the corruption is, you know, something you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. So yeah, we'll link, uh, uh, Apple has a full list that they always include when you go to Software Update. One of the links there is giving you all the, uh, for the most part, except for security ones, they, I, they don't go into great detail about what right. those do. Uh, all right. So before we get, uh, you might want to roll up your fists now. You roll, roll up your uh, your shirt sleeves now, John. But but first, before we before we dig into this, I want to talk about our first sponsor for the show, which is Smile on My Mac. And this week we're talking about PageSender. PageSender is fax or uh, essentially email software, and you can fax or email anything that you can print. Some of the cool things now, obviously, OS 10 has a fax client built in. And, and I know you're all thinking that, well, why would I want fax software? Well, there's a couple of things that PageSender will do that uh, that the OS 10 fax client won't. Uh, to start, you can view your, your sent faxes. You can actually see what you've sent. You can resend a fax. If you don't have a modem in your machine, and this is pretty cool, you can use eFax, JConnect, Max Email, or EasyLink. These are all online fax services that allow you to send and receive faxes without uh, a modem. Essentially, you, you subscribe to one of these services and, and you can use it to send your stuff in and out. PageSender links in with, uh, with those four that I mentioned. And, uh, and we use eFax here at the office constantly. We've used it since we started the businesses 10 years ago, and it's fantastic. So being able to link right in with that beautiful thing. For incoming faxes, it's got spam filtering and uh, and. If you have a fax number that's been out there long enough, that might be worth the price of admission alone. The price is thirty nine ninety five US. There's a there's a demo available and uh, some bonuses are, you know, there's some FileMaker integration and it'll also make use of more than just the internal modem. Uh, it, it page sender can use serial modems, IRDA mod- modems, some PC card modems, USB modems. So. It, uh, if you're someone who sends out faxes on a regular basis or needs perhaps scriptability or automator actions, check out PageSender. Like I said, a free demo and then purchase for $39.95 at smileonmymac.com slash PageSender. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play David's question here. We're going to hope that Firewire Audio behaves. It behaved two weeks ago, so we're just going to assume that it is. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then you're going down, buddy. <laughs> I think I'm going to play it. I hit the button to play it. Huh. I got nothing. Look at that. That's a beautiful thing. Go to play it. Nothing. 
There we go. Hey, John and Dave. David from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, with a simple question. I am a new Mac user, ex-Windows user, minus work, of course, because they make me use Windows. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, my question is wireless, signal strength in, in particular. You know, Windows does a good job. You just look down your taskbar, and it tells you what kind of connection you have. Excellent, very good, good. Usually, you know, we'll give you a percentage or whatever. But for the Mac, I can't see what kind of signal strength I'm getting. So when I have some, you know, wireless issues or something like that, I want to see if it's, you know, I'm out of range or, or something like that. And it just shows me the connection uh, detail, but doesn't give me a, a strength meter bar. So I was wondering if you got some kind of recommendations for that or some button I'm not checking to make that show up on my little uh, menu bar on the top there. So would appreciate that advice. Keep up the great work. I always look forward to your podcast. Thanks. All right, David. So, I uh, okay. So let, let's talk about this, John. Right? The uh, airport icon obviously shows us something, right? Well, and and I, I'm leading. So he you asked here. about strength. That's right. We can start there. Okay. So he was asking, how can I see the strength? Now, I would I would venture to say that in Tiger and Leopard, there is no way to see the signal strength. Without third-party utilities, uh, well, I would differ a little bit with you on that. Well, I think we covered this one before, but if you hold down, at least under Leopard, if you hold down Option, yep, you will see. Um, and this is only available if you hold down Option. If you don't, you won't see it. But it does show RSSI. Ah, okay. And what's that? So mean? that is, uh, yeah, Receive Signal Strength uh, Indicator, okay. which is a one, and this is where you and I started going at it. This is only one aspect of how well you're going to do with wireless. Okay. Strength. So it's a, it's a figure. I think it's measured in DB, DBM or DBA or some, you know, so some measure, um, you know, counting down from zero. The closer I think it gets to zero, the stronger it is. Um, like I'm seeing right now, negative 51. Uh, if I get closer, I guess it'll, it'll go less negative. So that's one okay. aspect, but then I, I think I saw the comment that you had made in, in, uh, in the pre-show notes here. I'll, I'll make the comment. I'll stand right up and say okay. it. Uh, it is my belief, based on uh, some things that I had read, the bars in your menu bar, so the little, the little Apple uh, menu bar there where the airport icon is, it shows you bars. Those are not signal strength bars. Those are speed indicator bars showing you how fast relative to the fastest you can transmit or receive, how fast your connection will allow you to do so. And this is where I shook my fist at you saying, no, 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 because I think we differed in, in our minds on the meaning of the word speed. Okay. Uh, I took that to be, well, it's indicating a relative like throughput figure. Mm. Okay. Like, you know, this many, you know, megabits per second is what is how fast I'm going to go. That's what I took away from speed. And that's, that's what I firmly believe. Okay. Uh, though I think I differed with you in that that figure uh, may not be instantaneously available, but the other things that are at your disposal uh, will dictate the speed that you get, which results in the bits per second that we all see. That's right. But okay, so so let's talk about what those things are cuz Pilot Pete's actually sitting right here and he asked, isn't speed a function of signal strength? And I would say of all of the factors, that's the least important. 
you need okay. to have you need to have uh, some minimum level of signal strength. But beyond that, the interference level and the signal quality level matter far more than the strength of the connection. And and the case in point is, and I turned it off because I think it was causing some uh, some hiccups on the machine. But when we started the show, uh, I can see four wireless networks from my uh, from my office here. Now with each of them, the signal strength. Now I ran a utility called iStumbler, uh, which shows a lot more detail about the connection. It'll show all all of the 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 base stations that it can see. It kind of shows them all at once, and it can graph it all out. And it shows you signal strength as, as a, a relative percentage. So 100 would be the best. It could be zero. Well, it's not going to show up because the, the thing's not there. Uh, I had a connection to my base station downstairs, and it was four bars, if you will, in right. the airport thing. But the signal strength was listed at 41%. Now, I had a connection to my... Uh, my the base station over at the house, the time capsule that's sitting within uh, it's I can see it from here, but it's it's a little bit further away. The signal strength was thirty five percent. I still had four bars. Uh, now, my neighbor's connection, I had twenty five percent. So relatively speaking, not that much less than the thirty five, but it wouldn't even show up in the airport menu. And it's because the interference on that one was a whole lot higher interference on all of my connections was. Uh, you know, somewhere between 10 and let's say 17 percent um, throughput on them was rel- matched better to the uh, the the bars that were appearing in the menu bar as opposed to the signal strength, because mm-hmm. certainly I shouldn't have four bars if my signal strength is 40 percent and the bars are representative of signal strength. And, you know, and uh, so I think what we can agree on is that and, and I think that the two figures are related is that there's signal quality right so strength and, qu- and quality from what i see at least an eye stumbler they report noise right that's it they report noise which is the inverse of quality right i mean i was thinking that that yeah that sounds right but and, and so that. you know I, call, I could almost equate it to something which you as a musician could appreciate it's almost like having a speaker you could have a really loud speaker that is over modulated so mm-hmm. even though it's really loud it's going to sound terrible or you can have a speaker that's not quite as loud but it's tuned perfectly and it'll sound so much better. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. And, and, the, and I say the relationship between the two. So, so strength is not always the, the only factor. Uh, so, so I guess we can agree that it's a, it's a, it's a combination of strength, which probably doesn't have as much an impact as the quality or the lack of noise. So you could have a lower strength signal, which I think was what you're saying, yep. but it can offer more throughput because the quality is better. That's right. And that and this is why when uh, years ago when and I think we talked about this and you may have disagreed with me at the time as well, but probably. Yeah, you usually do. Uh, When Apple upgraded, you know, from 10.3 to 10.4, when Tiger came out, everybody was saying, wow, my airport signals strength got better. And that's because in 10.3 and prior, the bars actually showed signal strength. And in 10.4, they started showing throughput and. And in in fact, there was a uh, a quote from someone at Apple, and it's not attributed to a certain person, but it is attributed to Apple in a Macworld UK review of Tiger that says Apple says we revised the airport indicator so it better indicates the performance you should get with your current connection. In this case, more bars means faster throughput. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There you go. Yes, I did find. Well, I found an Apple 
article that, that, that it was kind of ambiguous, but it said signal bars appear in the in the menu bar. The more bars that are black, the higher the signal quality. Right. So I think we what we were saying. It's, yeah. it's lack of noise quality, not the strength. Not the strength. So and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm with you. I like um, Ice Level is my favorite, also because it does growl alerts, which are kind of fun. Yeah, I never got into growl. I think my my ADD is too uh, too amped up for uh, for all that to be going on. I told you I had to set my mail client to only check mail once an hour because otherwise I couldn't get anything done. Well, I do it every five minutes. Wow, see, man, <laughs> I can't live like that. <clears throat> all right, uh, <laughs> let's go on to Tim. Hi, Dave and John. This is Tim McKean out in Southern California. I just finished listening to Matt Geekab one fifty three, where you were talking about the advantages of Leopard. And you mentioned the new screen sharing functions and screen sharing in iChat. I'm a college professor and I would like to learn more about screen sharing as a tool to use with my online classes. Do all the viewers have to be on a Mac to view iChat? Is it possible to set up an audio video stream of my desktop that students using Macs and PCs could view? Um, is this what VNC and Apple Remote Desktop, I know you've talked about those in the past, uh, lots of questions, and I'm looking forward to hear what you guys have to say. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Uh, first of all, I would say that Apple Remote Desktop, which effectively uses VNC, will will equate the two for this particular purpose. VNC would be certainly be the cross-platform way of doing that. Um, could work for a video stream. It's not going to do anything for audio, I believe. Right, John? VNC is strictly screen sharing. Uh, what I've seen, yeah. Yeah. But it requires you to give, uh, typically with VNC, you've got to give 100% access to people. I, I, and so I'm not sure that you really want to do that. Uh, plus, and, and I might be wrong about this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure only one person can connect at a time. Is that right? Or can you do more than one person connecting via VNC? Hmm. I've never tried it. Okay. Uh, I've only done point to point. Right. All right. Well, it. I don't think it's the perfect solution here. Um researching this, I started thinking, okay, what, what are, what are all the cool kids using these days? And Ustream.tv is a pretty common way for people to take either the, 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 the screenshot from their computer or uh, from a video camera and stream it out to the web, including audio. So I think that, or, or one of those similar services might be the answer here. Um, John, do you have any ideas on this one? Um, I've actually tried. It's been a while, but um, oh, and look at this. Looks like Cisco snatched them up. But uh, WebEx. Oh, I've used oh, for yeah. both remote access, and actually had a you know situation at the nine to five where we had someone who who required remote access. It was some software that you know they were setting up for us, and uh, but they needed to get to it to tweak it. You know, you can watch while they they do it, of course. Um, right. And I believe they have clients, um, you know, for pretty much any major platform. They do. PC, Mac. Um, Linux. Um, but then also you question, and, and, you know, I just poked around, but apparently they also have uh, audio support that can work hand in hand, which is, uh, you know, excellent if you're doing remote diagnostics. Yeah. You know, I've never tried, a, uh, allegedly even Windows XP has some sort of remote invite people to yeah. you know, watch what you're doing to figure it out. I've, not, I've actually never tried that. I it does. Yeah, it does. anyone to... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, for for remote help requests and stuff, I've I've certainly done that with people and worked on their machines. Uh, iChat iChat Theater will do this, but only with other Leopard based iChat users. I think I think it, I'm pretty sure you have to be Leopard based. You certainly have to be Tiger based, and without question, have to be Mac based. Uh, and then, 
even to that end, it'll only allow three additional people to see what's going on with you. Uh, now, you know, leopard, the, the leopard eye chat thing is what we used last or two weeks ago to do that uh, remote appearance in, in Ohio uh, at the mug meeting. But, uh, but yeah, for, for more than two or three people, it's just obviously not going to work. It's a four person maximum, including the host. So, all right. Uh, so I think Ustream or WebEx is the answer. Ustream would allow you to do it in some capacity for free. WebEx, I think you're paying from uh, from seat one, but yeah, depending on what you're trial. They do have a free trial. Yeah, and I think they, they do a lot, of, or at least the, 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 the folks that I was working with. I think you can actually set up an account and do like a per session, uh, you know, charge and all that. It looks, uh, oh, there you, go. you know, so it looks good if you're not going to be using it frequently. Right. I, I right. suppose they have different membership plans and all that great stuff. And uh, Pilot Pete to the Rescue, GoToMeeting is another one of those. Uh, and I think that may be more economical than WebEx, though I, I, I only say that based on a gut feeling and not any uh, empirical evidence. So there you go. You got three options to try, Tim. Uh, report back if you, uh, if you make one of them work for your class and your students. Uh, it'd be great to, great to know how you're doing that on your Mac. It'd be a, a, a nice little study. And, and maybe we'll even do it as an interview. I know we keep talking about doing interviews and you know, we, we're having enough trouble scheduling our own podcast here with our travel and all that. So to add another person to the mix is, uh, well, it hasn't happened yet. Anyway, Stephen writes, hi, John and Dave. Quick question. I have a second generation MacBook Pro with a non LED backlit display. Mm. Will I shorten the life of my display if I run the display at full brightness or adjust it for my eyes as I see fit? I have the display set to automatically adjust brightness as ambient light changes in system preferences. But I don't know if this will help with the life of my backlight. Any response would be greatly appreciated. All right, John. Hi. Uh, I'm going to give a hi. How you doing? <laughs> going to give a quick answer. But yeah, I was poking around and I just, I, I did find a, you know, I found a press release from a company that is making the LED backlight. And I would say, now I initially thought that LED is kind of a one or zero thing, whereas, you know, the, especially the fluorescent, they have a gas and, you know, it eventually deteriorates and stuff. But, but apparently from what they say, everything deteriorates. Um, you know, I got one figure for a certain display I found and they said it'll give you 70,000 hours or eight years continuous operation until it gets to half brightness. So that kind of surprised me. But then again, that's a long time. And I think most computers mm. are not doing eight years continuous. Uh, Cause I noticed this, I think you may have noticed it with your machines, but you know, I power book didn't, or maybe it was just perception. Or I was imagining it, but it just didn't seem as bright as time moved on. And I think it's just the nature of using the, uh, you know, the fluorescent uh, uh, source. The benefits of the LED, though, are that apparently they're not as prone to uh, disruption from either temperature or vibration. And, of course, uh, being green, uh, there's no mercury in uh, right. LEDs. And the power consumption, I think, is, is generally less. And, and from what I saw, you could also give a wider range of the maximum uh, luminosity point, I guess, uh, you, you, you can set it to. So apparently that's something that, it, you know, the, the, the vendor can decide. Do I want to make it really bright, but... Maybe it'll not last as long. Um, uh, actually, I found with my my you know shiny new machine here, a lot of times I I turn it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it if you can believe it? It's too bright. Oh no! I well, I going from an LCD you know machine to to the LED. I, I found exactly the same thing. I found two things. One, I had to turn it down, and two, the whites were so much more consistent from top to bottom. Um, but in, in terms of long term use, I've got uh, a twenty three inch cinema display downstairs now. 
it's the first generation cinema display. So I, I guess I got it in 2001. I think that's right. I think it's right about then. And so I've had that for, you know, seven years. And I definitely have noticed that it has gotten dimmer over time because I used to, I used to have to have it at about half brightness. Now I think I'm actually up to full brightness and I'm pretty sure it's not my eyes, but uh, I guess it could be. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, even still, it was way too bright when I got it. Now it's, it's still fine as I've cranked up the brightness. Uh, But, you know, pilot Pete made the comment here. Good luck wearing out any screen like that before you wear out the rest of the components of the machine or simply the machine is so uh, outdated that, you know, you're going to need to upgrade it even if everything's running just fine. So, uh, yeah. So uh, in general, keep it as low as is comfortable. I think that that's good advice for you, even uh, for your eyes. Yep. I'd say it has a more have a greater impact on your battery life and stuff than, uh, yes. than actually the lifetime of the component. Because when they fail, it's pretty spectacular. <laughs> As all failures should be. Well, I've seen that, you know, lines through the screen, usually a loose connector or something like that. But um, Except, I'll qualify that by saying, except in Pilot Pete's line of work. We want no, we want no spectacular failures for you, Pete. That's, that's on the bad side of the good bad scale. That's right. Oh, well, yeah, for, uh, well, yeah, aviators. <laughs> I think the components in, in those sorts of uh, devices are generally put up to greater uh, stresses before they're released in the wild. Let's hope, off, you know, cliffs and stuff like that. Pressure, temperature, extremes and all that mill spec. Well, and mill spec is, you know, really crazy. Yeah. But, and there is a saying in aviation, it's better to look good and die than live and look stupid. So going out spectacularly, I guess, maybe. <laughs> I, I think it I think it depends on your point of reference. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you can actually hear uh, a a great interview that I listened to on Saturday night on the way to and from my gig uh, that Pilot Pete did on the Box Aviator podcast with a, a guy who was in the Blue Angels. And he actually talks about some spectacular failures that, that did not end in uh, that did not end badly. Uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that and we'll put a link to that in the show notes here. So, uh, All right. So we're moving on to Ben, right? How are we doing on time here? You, you know what I'm going to do, John? I'm going to talk to you about our second sponsor for the show, which is a new sponsor for the show. And it is Yazsoft. And Yazsoft makes speed download. Now, what speed download is, is it's actually a bunch of things. It is a turbocharged download manager. So it's going to allow you to get the fastest long-term downloads that, that, uh, that are available. Uh, has an auto-resume capability. It's got a fully featured secure FTP client built in. Uh, and it, it's got uh, .Mac, iDisk, the whole web dev thing. You can, you can use speed download to, to talk to that. It's also got a file sharing utility in it. So if you and a friend both have speed download, you can send files back and forth to each other. Uh, and it's even got a little mini server built in. So you can set up a couple files for, you know, for your friend or a coworker or something to come and get from you. And of course, the auto resume and all that stuff is, uh, is totally you know, built in there. It's also got bandwidth throttling. So let's say you're, and we've talked about throttling on the show. Let's say you're downloading, uh, you know, a huge file. Maybe it's, it's, you know, many, many gigabytes and, you know, it's going to take a couple of hours and you don't want it to totally soak your connection by default. Safari is going to do that. Firefox is going to do that. It's going to download as fast as it can with, uh, with speed download version five, 
you can set a bandwidth throttle and it actually can can uh, can throttle that download and give you enough headroom so that the rest of your connection isn't uh, isn't hurting. The the price is twenty five dollars US. Of course, you can get a twenty one day trial if you go to yazsoft dot com y a z s o f t dot com and that's speed download. And with that, let's uh, let's hear from Ben. Hi, John and Dave. This is Ben in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, called once before, and you guys were big help. So I figured I'd try you guys again because I've got a problem that's annoying the heck out of me. Um, I've got a twenty inch Intel iMac. Um, and I have no idea what's causing this, but seemingly at random, a few of my preferences are reset. I think they're reset to the, whatever the default is, um, in, in Mac OS 10, 10 10.5. Um, it's, it's the ones that I notice, and there may be other settings that are being reset also, but the ones that I notice every time are my dictionary shortcut key, um, which is, I think, commands, uh, Command Control D, I think, is what it is, um, and and it'll show you can point to a word and it'll show you what the uh, what the definition is. Love the feature. The other one that is even more frustrating is my buttons three and four on the lovely Mighty Mouse. They uh, they're set. I've got them set so that button uh, I think four is dashboard and button three is show all windows, and those are be, being reset to the default, which means they don't do anything. Um, as I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm remembering that actually the secondary button uh, is set at default, is set to uh, to not do anything, but that one seems to, to still be my secondary button. So I don't know why, how it's picking and choosing or which settings to reset, but it's resetting some of them. And again, I have no idea what's causing it. It's seemingly at random. It doesn't happen after a shutdown necessarily. Doesn't necessarily happen after a sleep. Um, it just happens. Um, at seeming random. So any help you guys can offer, I would appreciate. Um, here's where you cut me off. And then we will cut you off. Uh, all right, John, so what's this? Um, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on this? Huh. That's a good one. Because I was actually poking around here. So yeah, it's a, I would say a preference file. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to use the, the very quickly, the, the strategy I was using last time, but couldn't seem to find any file that was changing with this. Because my oh. suggestion would be, you know, try to find it and nuke it and see if well, things get better. Or I guess, you know, checking permissions, that's always our favorite when, when yeah, files that's a good idea. to yeah. do what they want. But past that, I think you had actually found something which, you know, if, if a casual sh- search wouldn't reveal. Yeah. It, so there's, there's two preference files that are discussed as being part of this. And I, I agree with you, John. I think it's w- almost without question a, a preference file issue, though. The fact that it's changing back randomly makes me think maybe there's some Apple script running under the hood or, you know, it's possible there's something else that, that he may not be aware of. But, but yeah, I think the, the preference file, the assumption that maybe the file's damaged and the, the changes aren't sticking, they're, they're staying in RAM. And then when the OS goes to refresh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's settings from the preference file, bam, out it comes. So uh, there's two. One is both in, in home, uh, so your home folder, library, preferences. One is com.apple.universalaccess.plist. And that stores some of this stuff, but near as I can tell, the things that are uh, plaguing Ben here are actually stored in a hidden file. So if you're in home, library, preferences, the name of the file is dot. It starts with a period, which in Unix hides it. Uh, and then the name of the file is 
dot dot global preferences dot p list. You're not going to see this in the finder easily. Uh, there are ways of of tricking the finder into this, but much simpler to go to the terminal. Go to uh, it, when you open up the terminal by default, you're in your home directory. So type CD for change directory space and then library with a capital L slash preferences with a capital P. And at that point, you, you if you do an LS with a dash A, which will show you everything. So LS space dash A, you will see the dot global preferences file. My advice, back that file up by doing a copy and then you, uh, at the terminal copy is a CP command. So you'd say CP space dot global preferences dot P list space. And then I would go and put it somewhere else. So I'd do uh, home, which, which is tilde slash uh, desktop, maybe slash, and then global preferences P list test, just so you know where it is and then delete it. RM space dot global preferences dot P list reboot, test it again. And that's uh that's the path I would take. It's not a not a not a very clean path, but because you're dealing with this hidden file, there's there's not uh, not a, a wonderfully gooey way of uh, of dealing with it in the finder. Hmm. Why would they hide such a thing? That's my only concern, and that's why I highly recommend backing it up. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, I guess the worst that could happen is your machine wouldn't boot, and uh, you know your computer might melt. So, and Pete was asking if there's a way to unhide it in this instance, there's not. And it's because there's a dot before it. So to unhide it, you'd need to rename it. And by renaming it, the OS isn't going to see it anymore. So uh, honestly, actually, that's another, that's another solution is simply rename it there. Uh, the OS won't see it. Presumably. I always like to get things out of the folder that they're in. Oh, well, we have, oh gosh. Is it like one of our favorites? They're like Onyx. They're, Oh, Several yeah. of these utilities will let, will show you invisible files as I kind of grayed out. Yeah, that's right. Things off the top of my head, I don't recall which ones do that specifically. No, I think you're right. I think Onyx lets you set, certainly Tinker Tool would, uh, but I'm pretty sure Onyx has an option where you can tell the finder to show you invisible items. And, uh, and that, yeah, there you go. I like that. But yeah, I'm thinking with you, if it's invisible, it's probably for a good reason. Yes. It's a warning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. So let's move quickly here because uh, we've got a couple other things we, we just can't bear not to get through. So Ruvain has some great advice for us. Hi, John and Dave. It's uh, Ruvain, the sole pin on your map from Israel, calling in again. I've been listening to the show. Uh, oh, just incidentally. I'm calling you on a hacked iPhone, uh, working nicely in Israel with all the carriers. Sounds uh, clear. Anyway, in regards to assemble, disassembling and reassembling MacBooks and MacBook Pros, uh, having done that a lot, what I found the easiest way to do it is I have printed out the iFixit instructions for each uh, for each book that I, you know, each uh, laptop that I do. And then what I do uh, is I place the screws as I assemble it next on the appropriate picture in the appropriate places. So that way, as I'm reassembling it, um, it's very clear to me exactly which screws go where without, uh, it's a nice visual guide and you can't get lost. And um, 
you know you've put all the screws in the right places because you've placed each screw on the little picture of where the screw belongs. And as you're reassembling, uh, those screws should disappear and you should have blank paper. The last part of it is the biggest trick is not aligning things. It's making sure that when you reassemble it, the Mac folks, uh, the service people, don't notice that anyone's been in the case because, as you folks like to say, you don't want to get caught. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. Uh, I guess this is the time when, uh, when you pull the reins on the horse. All right. Well, we'll pull the reins on the horse. And you're right. You don't want to get caught. But I think I just when I heard that, I thought, wow, what a brilliant idea. So simple. But uh, as long as you don't shake the table, right, that that would be my only concern. You bump that table, man. You're you're hosed. So, yeah, a little tape or glue. Oh, there you go. Yeah, glue. That's what you want. Or even better, make a video. Ah, you have to have a friend make a video. Yeah. Hmm. Wouldn't hurt to compliment it. There's probably videos of this on, on YouTube. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, have you seen <laughs> many? Th- have you seen Charlie bit my finger? No. It's a YouTube video that has 29 million. Wow. Hits. I I just don't understand the internet sometimes. Well, maybe after the show it'll have 29 million and one. Maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Okay. Kevin. So we're now. Uh, we, we've got. A, we've got. We can do this, right? We can do this in like nine minutes or so, John. Right. Uh, not that we actually have a time limit, but you know, we like to, uh, we like to keep things within a certain realm. We have, we have a bunch of follow-ups from, uh, from our last show two weeks ago. Kevin writes in episode 153, you mentioned the many search attributes that can be set in the finder window. You're on the right track. It does search inside of files. It's spotlight much changed from tiger and far more useful. Any entries in that list from applications are most likely might most hmm, likely generated by spotlight plugins. It's worth noting that if you hold down the option key while clicking the plus symbol in that window to add new search criteria, spotlight will do a nested Boolean search. For example, all files greater than a gigabyte and more than a year old. As far as I know, spotlight can't search for applications by architecture. However, if you open System Profiler and click on Applications, you'll get a list of all your installed apps, sortable by architecture. And I think you mentioned that, John. This list is probably generated in the same way that the Open With dialog is. Cache files that are updated anytime OS X sees a new application. These files are located in slash library slash caches and have file names beginning with services. These are also used by RC default to catalog all of your applications. The setting for default applications are stored in home slash library slash preferences slash com dot apple dot launch services dot P list. So while the list may not be completely exhaustive, if you have applications laying around in weird places, it should catch most of them. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Kevin. One of the things uh, I think both of us last week talked about, John, was, was, uh, Different apps. I, I mentioned Omni Disk Sweeper to go and find uh, large files, and uh, apparently that's not all. There's uh, there's quite a few of them out there. And Mike, uh, well, we'll let Mike speak for himself. Hey, Dave and John, this is Mike. In uh, your last show, I guess it was uh, 153, you mentioned Omni Disk Sweeper for finding out what's eating up your hard disk space. I use a beautiful tool with the absolutely most wonderful interface uh, available for Mac and Windows and everything. Uh, I think there's even the Java version. It's called JDisk Report. It's uh, really quite an astounding uh, little product with 
probably one of the most intuitive interfaces I've ever seen. Uh, you can get it at, uh, I think it's www.jgoodies.com. Really wonderful uh, tool to have in your toolkit. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, all right, John. What? Uh, oh, we got a boatload here. Uh, let's see. Connor told us about something called Grand Perspective. Yep. Uh, and Connor and Shane also both wrote in about one called Disk Inventory. Uh, and we're going to put links to, to all these in the show notes. Or 10. Disk Inventory 10. That's right. Yeah. Did we say that? Okay. And then another, um, just to round things out. And uh, Connor, he, he's got a home run here. Uh, what size? What size? Also Tony. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and all three of those, I believe the first two uh, were J-Disk Report and Grand Perspective are freely available, and I'm pretty sure Disk Inventory 10 and what size are shareware. So uh, your mileage may vary as you uh, as you check through them all. So that's that. Uh, Greg wrote in. Where is Greg's email? Here's Greg's email. Listening to episode 153, you talked about places to get Apple Care at a discount. I thought other listeners might want to know that Amazon also offers Apple Care at a discount, which is great because if you've got uh, Amazon Prime, they, they actually sell it from Amazon. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can get it uh, two days, two day shipping for free, which is very cool. And Amazon's pricing was the same as uh, the other ones that we talked about, Mega Max and Expercom. So I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, I always look at the MacBook Pro uh, one because that's the one I seem to buy all the time. And uh, and Amazon and the and the other two have it for two ninety nine versus Apple's three forty nine. That said, uh Darbyshire wrote in, Mr. Darbyshire, I believe, and said that LA Computer sells it at a discount. And LA's computer, LA Computer's price for the MacBook Pro Apple Care is two thirty five. I checked today, so mm. they dramatically beat everybody else, at least on that one. And I'm guessing the rest are uh, are similar. So we'll put it. We'll put a link to LA Computer there in the show notes, as well as as well as the Amazon stuff. So yeah, just be careful because I did notice some vendors did not have certain. Right. Uh, like they had MacBook, not MacBook Pro. So just be careful because there's, there is a difference in price. I think the MacBook Pro is the right more expensive option in, in general, just like the other Pro machines. Um, That's right. That's absolutely right. Yep. We have time for this slide? We do. Uh, Brian wrote in and he was uh, replying to me complaining that I had to install parallels to get uh, Internet Explorer running so that I could log into Atlas and do something we needed to do for uh, actually for the AT&T campaign that started on uh, TMO and across the Backbeat Network today. We had to get some stuff in place last week. And he said, you know, you don't need Windows. And he referred to a. Yeah. And and I actually wrote him back and said, I'm not sure that's correct, because Atlas is going to go and install an ActiveX control. And so I thought, you know, let me try this. So what he suggested was uh, he saw a video, uh, a YouTube video posted by William Bokanik and where he, he showed essentially this working and it uses an architecture called Dar Wine uh, and wine stands for uh, wine is, wine not, is an, not an emulator. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a self it's a recursive, it's recursive. Uh, acronym, which is uh it's just beautiful. That's right. It's very, very, very cool to us geeks. Um, but but what Wine does is essentially it's not an emulator. It creates a framework 
that allows Windows applications to think that they're acting inside Windows. It, it provides a, an abstraction layer that, that essentially translates all the toolbox calls to get really geeky. And I think I'm close to right there. Is that right, John? Pretty sure that's what it does. I'm pretty sure. And I think a, the, a similar product on the Mac side that also does something, and it's all about what level I yep. think of the machine you want to emulate, but I believe Crossover takes a similar approach. Mm-hmm. Is that I, it, 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 it's converting the calls, which are pretty much common among operating systems. I mean, a call to, or at least their functionality, open right. a window, move a window, display a menu, accept input. So as long as you can replicate that across platforms, then well-written applications should install just fine. Now, I'm actually surprised that uh, ActiveX components... Uh, install because to me that would seem to be beyond the abilities of a uh, you know something that emulates it at a higher level that's not actually doing you know processor emulation or anything so uh, right excellent yeah okay so uh, so he said you know go ahead and 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 check out this video now the video had two links they were both to a site called cronenberg.org and one uh was to darwine which is the darwin version of wine and then the other is to this thing called IES for OS 10. And really it's Internet Explorers for OS 10. And so what you do is you download this Darwine thing and all you do is copy it to your applications folder. You do nothing else. Then you download this IES for OS 10 thing and that needs Darwine. It won't run without it. And once you run it, it shows you all of the Internet Explorers that it can download and install into Wine. Now, it says that IE7 doesn't work. I didn't try it. I installed IE6. I ran it. It took, I don't know, maybe let's say 10 minutes to download the whole thing and install everything. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the speed of your connection and the speed of your machine, etc. cetera. Uh, and it installed fine. I launched it, went to Atlas, logged in. It let me in. I went to run reports. It said you need an ActiveX control. I said, okay. And uh, it downloaded two ActiveX controls, one from Atlas, one from Microsoft, and everything worked beautifully. So uh, so for me, it saves me from having to run parallels, and it also saves me from having to uh, buy copies of Windows for my Mac using staff. Uh, everybody's got Mac, you know, Intel-based Macs now, uh, so everybody can go ahead and, uh, and, and just run this and, and get into Atlas and answer our RFPs and all of that good stuff. So it's, it's, it really is, you know, um, for me, it's 80% of what I would use Windows for, maybe even like 99% of what I would use Windows for for work purposes uh, and, and is a pretty huge thing. So I just wanted to, uh, to mention it. Thank you, Brian, uh, for pointing it out to me. I know Brian said, don't thank me. Thank William Bakanik since that's where I saw it. And so we'll thank both of you because well, thank uh, everybody. Well, thank you, everybody. It doesn't matter. That's right. No, it's, I actually it's have good. one to, to rewind just a little bit yep. here uh, for discounts and all that. Um, www.apple.com slash education. And if you go there, education yep. store, of course, you have to be an educator, either a student or an educator. But I think those are some of the best discounts short of a developer discount. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, uh, you know, uh, my company works on this and others do. Uh, I think it's www.apple.com slash EPP store employee purchase program, which a lot of larger companies will have deals. And then you enter your company name and if it comes up, then, uh, then you get a, you know, a corporate discount. Yep. So, uh, yeah, they, they typically discount Apple care in addition to everything else. I think developers, the best discount. Yeah, it probably is. I, 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 I'd, I'd buy that if, uh, if I had to, 
In fact, that's how I bought my my most recent machine was uh, was doing the whole developer thing. So. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm waiting for that first big app from you. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's bring the band in and... Uh, and let's go through this. So I, I wanted to tell you, John, and uh, and and Pete, I ordered a, a Kindle. I've been toying with this, and and since Jeff Bezos last week said, uh, you know, that they weren't going to release Rev 2 for a while. Oh, I the thought, book? Oh, yeah. The, the, their e-book? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. You know, I read a lot, so I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. One thing that I hope to be able to report on next week, now I'm flying... I wasn't able to get flights on American uh, to go out. I'm flying JetBlue on Sunday. So I'm going to try. And uh, my, my biggest concern with this is that I, I won't be permitted to read during takeoff and landing. Right. Because it, I guess, technically is an electronic device. Now, it's got the, the EVDO circuit in it, which presumably can and would be turned off. But uh, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, that they might not let me me. Use it, even though it, you know, is basically the same as leaving my digital watch running. Not that I use one, but, uh, you know, the guy next to me might have a digital yeah, watch. Yeah, you could work on the side of them not knowing what it is. Well, no, they'd be smart enough to know it's electronics. Yeah. Maybe not electronics that has uh, wireless, which is what you're indicating. Well, but even during takeoff and landing, any electronics are, right. are not permitted to be used, which clearly is a rule that needs to be changed. But I don't intend on being the champion for this on the flight. You know, d- don't expect to read stories in the news about me climbing up on any luggage, uh, on any uh, service know, I, cards. I still so. question that. I think it's the error on the side of safety that somebody doesn't have some wildly malfunctioning piece of RF equipment that transmits and screws up all right. the, you know, guidance systems. But, uh, what about the general, what about the, the twenty five idiots that uh, leave their cell phones turned on in their carry on bag? I'm pretty sure that if if anybody's going to cause problems, it's them more than me holding a oh, Kindle with the Wi Fi turned off. I was once one of those idiots, is that I did forget. You know, I left it in my overhead bag, and I found, oh my, I left it. You know, I, yeah. accidentally, not intentionally, of course. Um, and the the plane made it, so yeah. No, I, it wasn't on purpose. Imagine that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on the record saying if the plane would not have made it, had some idiot left, and I and I and I say that term with endearment, John, uh, because I've done it too. Uh, but but if one of us idiots, if if any of us idiots had left our uh, cell phones on in our bags, if that were going to negatively impact the plane in the slightest, I wouldn't step foot on any airplane ever again in my life. And, and I'll let Pete chime in here because I, I know he's, he's chomping the, at the, the bit. The worst case that I've ever heard of a cell phone affecting a flight is when one of the pilots leaves it on. It rings during the takeoff roll and they reject the takeoff because they <laughs> thought they had a fire bell or something along the way. And it's happened. You know, it's, so it's for the pilots. It's not for the passengers. Of course. That's all I see. <laughs> yeah, of course. Turn your phones off, idiots. Yeah. And I was actually playing kind of a fun game on the way back on the uh, the, the train that took forever from, you know, our uh, yes. vacation there. Yes. Because I ran Ice Stumbler. Well, we had, well, we both had the brush fire. But, um, yeah. I was running Ice Stumbler on the train at certain points because, of course, you know, the Amtrak has a 120 uh, outlet. So right. you can, you know, uh, run as long as you want. But um, I was picking up all sorts of base stations along the way with iStumbler. It was, uh, it was kind oh, of fun. Yeah. Then it got boring because I kept finding... The, the problem is, you know, I was moving, so I right. didn't really hook into them for anything. Right, right. 
okay. Oh, so we've got some uh, some stuff to talk about here. We have the AAC version of this podcast is coming to you courtesy of Michael Johnston of iPhoneAlley.com. And he's got uh, the iPhone Alley podcast now, which is actually growing by leaps and bounds. He's doing amazingly well over there. He's got great guests, awesome sound quality. Uh, and and a real flow to the show now. So if uh, if you haven't listened to it or even haven't listened in a couple of episodes, pick it up again and, and check it out over at iPhoneAlley.com. Cashfly is the place that provides all the bandwidth for you to download this show, both the MP3 and the AAC version. And the podcast marketplace for this month includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit and Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Page Sender from Smile on My Mac, Conference recorder from Ecamm Networks. We're happy to welcome Audible back. We'll uh, talk about them in a future show, but if you click the magic link now, you can get that free download. And, of course, Harmon-Etravel.com. Uh, please, oh, man, we went through the whole show. I didn't put it in the agenda. We went through the whole show without telling them how to contact us. So you can email feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can call. What's the number, John? John. Did we lose John again? We lost John earlier. Oh my gosh, we're flying without a net. You can call 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. You can Skype to Mac Geek Gab. Uh, and that's it. We got to get out of here. We got to go find John. Oh my gosh. John! I think he got caught. I think he did. where we'll have John back by next time. Made up.